Let's get into God's word here tonight. Again, we're in Daniel chapter 2. We're picking up things in verse 31. Last week as we came here to chapter 2, remember we had seen uh, Daniel excel. He's there in captivity along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're counted now amongst uh, Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, kind of as his counselors and so forth, who he would turn to and, you know, at difficult, uh, you know, situations, as well as trying to use them to influence the uh, various cultures that they came from, trying to, you know, bring them into that Babylonian culture, though we'd seen Daniel and his friends standing strong for the Lord. And a great example of being in the world, but not being of the world. And we've been touching on that in our studies in Daniel, and we'll continue to do that. And then last week, we saw Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon. He is, you know, the king of the superpower on the earth at that time. And he is giving, given a prophetic dream by the Lord. It's a dream that deeply disturbs him and really calls him or moves him to look for an interpretation of that dream. He wants an answer. He says, I've had this dream. What, this, what is this about? But remember, Nebuchadnezzar, in wanting to get that interpretation, he wanted to make sure that it was a genuine interpretation and not something that was just made up by his wise men to appease him. So he didn't say, just give me the interpretation, but he said, I need to have you tell me what my dream is and the interpretation and if you can't do that then i am going to kill you and so a lot of pressure here and we saw those pagan uh magicians and sorcerers and so forth that were part of that uh group of wise men really trying to stall we saw them really uh trying to uh buy time in hopes that you know the urgency that was on nebuchadnezzar's heart would go away and uh they wouldn't have to uh, you know, try to give the dream because he said, we can't do that. You know, it, we, we don't have the ability to do that. And so we saw Nebuchadnezzar actually begin to, uh, you know, execute uh, th- this group. And uh, when that word got to Daniel, uh, he asked, you know, why is this so urgent? Why is he already taking lives? And it was told to him. And he said, hey, you know what? Give me time to pray. And that was brought to Nebuchadnezzar, and really because God had given favor to Daniel, and because Daniel at this point had, you know, walked in an upright manner as a God-pleaser, not as a man-pleaser, God gave Daniel favor with the king, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you time to pray. And Daniel then got his three friends, and they all, you know what, sought after the heart and mind of God, and as they asked the Lord, and they sought the Lord, the Lord gave Daniel the dream and the interpretation. And uh, you know what? How oftentimes are we in a jam and we don't go to the Lord? And this is a reminder to us to always go to the Lord. Not only in jams, but he has told us to cast all our cares on him, knowing that he cares for us. And I think of the verse where the Lord says, you have not because you ask not. And then we're told to ask, seek, and knock, and it will be done unto us or given unto us and so forth. And just a great encouragement to be turning to the Lord, really, in all things. And so God gives him the dream and the interpretation. But before Daniel races in to tell Nebuchadnezzar that, hey, I have the dream and the interpretation, remember what he saw, what he did first. He was quick to give give praise to God. And he thanked God, and he gave God the glory. And it's awesome because, again, another picture of Daniel putting the Lord first, 
saying, yes, you know what, my life's on the line right now. And uh, yes, God has given me the interpretation, kind of the key to spare my life. But before I even act on that, I'm going to give God praise for answering this prayer. I'm going to give him praise that he is all-knowing and, uh, you know, he, he is full of wisdom and so forth. And again, a reminder to us, let's make sure that we're giving God praise first, that we're giving God thanks above all things. That's really our chief purpose in life is to give glory to God and give thanks to God. And I'll tell you, the more you become a thankful person, the more you become a worshiper of God, the more you acknowledge God's goodness because he is good to us. Amen. Listen, the more that will impact your life. He inhabits the praises of his people. And there is a great joy found when you begin to walk in giving thanks to God versus, you know what, getting robbed when we walk with a hardened heart and we become complainers and we look at every glass half empty versus rejoicing and whatever's in that glass God has given us to give praise and glory and honor to him knowing again that he's going to go before his people. So now we move here to verse 31, and we see Daniel reciting the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. So let's read verse 31 down through verse 35, and we won't comment on this a lot, just a little bit, but we'll come back to this when he gives the actual breakdown of the dream here a few verses down. So verse 31, he says, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. So again, This is what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. He says, This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partial with iron and partially with clay. You watch while a stone, notice here, was cut out, cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the, iron of, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer's threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone was struck by the image, became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. Now again... Listen, only God knew this dream at Nebuchadnezzar because God's the one that gave him that dream. And absolutely, only God could give the interpretation of this dream because of the way that it was given. Again, this was something that only God knew. And even those, um, you know what, pagan counselors that were there even acknowledged this to a degree. Because when they were pressed on what is the dream and what its interpretation, one of the things they said to Nebuchadnezzar there in Daniel 2.11 was, uh, this is a difficult thing, the king requests, and there's no other who can tell it to the king, notice, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And they were kind of right there in that, again, they were limited in what they could do. But the truth is, even the gods that they served, which were fallen angels, which were of the demonic, and they do have some supernatural power, but nothing compared to our God, their gods had no way of giving this dream or interpreting it because they are very limited. And again, God's the one that actually gave the dream and had the interpretation. And we need to remember that because, listen, we know we are in a spiritual war 
The Bible makes that very clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenlies and the rulers of darkness of this age. The Bible says that we wrestle with the wiles of the devil. Uh, that is a very factual thing. Any believer in Christ is going to have times when they experience this. Sometimes it's more intense than others. There's sometimes we're going through spiritual warfare and we're not even aware of it. And yet it doesn't discount or take away from the fact that we are going through it. And it's easy in that to, you know what, in our minds, give the enemy a lot more power than he has. And he enjoys that. He likes us to have a fear of him because when we are fearing him, that means we are not fearing God in a way that is reverent. And he enjoys that. That's one way that he receives praise. And I don't want to give the enemy any praise. We need to remember that he is very limited. And we referred there last week to Job chapter 1 where we saw the sons of God or angels coming before God. And it says Satan was amongst them. And God says to him, hey, what have you been up to? And he says, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And so this is Satan himself speaking. You know what? I'm going to and fro, but he's not everywhere like God. God is omnipresent. God, you know what? He, he's not in everything. He didn't dwell in us until we came to Christ, but absolutely he is everywhere. And this is the enemy is not everywhere of our soul. He's also very limited in his knowing. Listen, he knows more than we know. There's familiar spirits that study us and so forth. Uh, Satan, again, he was Lucifer before he fell, and he was one of the highest-ranking angels. And so obviously he has an intellect that is you know, far superior to ours. But we got to know, compared to God, again, this is, this is like a firecracker compared to, you know what, the power of the sun multiplied by infinity. Now, I don't know if there's any mathematicians there. I don't know if that's really a, a math equation. I think it is. Uh, and, and there's no comparison in this because our God, again, is all-knowing. First John 3.20, it says that he knows all things. And Hebrews 4.13 says there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so God's the one that again gave the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And then God is the one as Daniel cried out to the Lord. He didn't turn to these, you know, what ways of the sorcerers and so forth. He didn't turn to the dead, so to speak, but he turned to the living God. The living God is the one that gave him the dream as well as the interpretation of the dream as well. And then notice in verse 36, he says, this is the dream now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. And think of the circumstances that happened before this. This seems so daunting. Uh, again, lives were already lost and more lives would have been lost because of the difficult way that Nebuchadnezzar had made all this. Saying, listen, you need to tell me the dream and the interpretation but as I was considering this, you know what, the thought that I had, and I think this is a thought the Lord pressed on my heart, is that these circumstances that preceded all of this, you know, Nebuchadnezzar saying, you need to tell me the dream, and then I'll listen to the interpretation, is something that God used to give credibility to the actual interpretation of the dream. 
Because if Nebuchadnezzar would have said, I had a dream and here's this image, and you know, it ahead of gold and silver and went through all the things, you know, these guys surely could have gotten together and said, hey, this will really stroke, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's ego. Let's go with this. And more likely he probably would have received that than uh, an interpretation that was accurate that we'll see here involves all of these kingdoms eventually, you know, getting crushed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God used the difficulty of this to give Daniel a place of authority. And this is something we got to remember in our lives. As followers of Christ, we are not promised, you know, at time here on earth that doesn't include trials. The scripture says we're going to have trials, we're going to have tribulations, It says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The Lord's told us this. This is reiterated to us throughout the New Testament as followers of the Lord. Now, praise God, Jesus is with us through it all. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's with us as followers of Christ, as folks that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's with us through the end of the age. And we need to remember that when trials come, and persecutions come, oftentimes we are being watched more when those things are not going on in our lives. And as we persevere through those times of difficulty with our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, hear this tonight, it gives our witness that Jesus is our Lord a whole lot more credibility. It's really easy, again, to give lip service to God, and then when difficulty comes, we bail out on our walk with the Lord when really we should, we should be drawing all the more to Him. And we got to understand that the trials that we go through, those don't come in the life of the believer just because God likes to mess with us. That, that's not why those are there. Those are there to stretch us, to grow us. Oftentimes they're there to, you know what, get our eyes more upon him and our need for him. And again, they're also there to establish our walk with the Lord, not only personally, but our witness in the communities that we are in. I mean, you know what? To show that our, that our faith is a genuine faith. I thought of Proverbs 20, verse 6. It says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? In other words, there's a lot of people that can say, I'm this, that, and the other. But when you persevere in difficulty, that makes more of an impact. It brings more of a credibility to your witness as you persevere in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this that happened before now is giving Daniel so much more credibility and that God gave him the dream. Now the king is really going to listen to the interpretation. And I know all of us here tonight know people in our lives that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in that place that we were before we came to Christ. Sinners separated from God in need of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know you care about these folks, don't you, tonight? Hopefully you're praying for those folks. You want to see them come to faith in Jesus. You want to see them receive the same forgiveness that you receive when you put your faith in the Lord. You want to see them partake of that same salvation that you have by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to know that when you persevere in tribulation and trials and persecution, you're being watched. And when your Christian witness is steady, when you give thanks even in the day of difficulty, that makes an impact. That brings more credibility to your witness. 
But in, in trials and tribulations, if we just have a meltdown and all of a sudden act like those that don't know the Lord, and all of a sudden, instead of praise out of our mouth, there's cursing and there's foul language and so forth, and, you know, in a negative attitude, and all of a sudden you become, you know, this, this grouch and so forth, what's that going to do to our witness? It's going to make a lot of people say, yeah, you know, that's what I thought. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just like me. And we need to remember that. We're being watched. And God used, again, these circumstances to help solidify the interpretation and the word that would be given to Nebuchadnezzar, which we'll see is really a word that brings glory to God, and it was a call to repentance to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 37, he says, You are king, you, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And Daniel says here, listen, and, 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 and this is smart. Again, he, he's acknowledging the king, the Bible says we should give honor to the king, and he does that, but he says, you're a king of kings. He doesn't say you're the king of kings, and we know who the king of kings is, and Daniel here shortly is going to talk about the king of kings, and the king of kings is the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely not a king, not just another God, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords uh, you know, it's spoken of in the scriptures. The Bible calls him the potentate or, you know, the one who is above all others. And that's not any man. That's only our Lord and Savior. And then he tells Nebuchadnezzar, and this is counsel that Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear because as we continue in the book of Daniel and the weeks to come, the Lord willing, we're going to see this was a man that God absolutely had used even in his brutality, and he was a man that God was calling unto himself. But at this point, he looked at him, himself as a God. And he didn't look at himself as one that had been given the things that he had by the king of kings. And Daniel's telling him straight up right here, I mean, he's here in front of the most powerful man upon the face of the earth who thinks that he is a God, who thinks that all of these things in his hands and all the kingdoms that he has conquered has come by him. And Daniel tells him, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. In other words, the only reason you have what you have is because God has given it to you. I don't care who you are. And that's a reminder to us to recognize the things that we have, the gifts that we have, the provisions that we have are given to us by God Almighty. James 1.16, do not be deceived, my beloved brother, for every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And so let's make sure that in the blessings that we have from God, we're recognizing him in that. We're giving thanks to the Lord. Let's remember as well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It all belongs to God and his followers of Christ we're called to be good stewards with those things, recognizing they're, in, they're given to us on loan. Now notice verse 38. He says, And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over them all. And then he says, You are the head of gold. Again, he's had this dream of a head of gold, a, a, an awesome image its head is golden, its arms are silver, the stomach and thighs are brass, the legs are iron, and then the feet are clay and iron mixed. And so now he's giving the interpretation. And he says, here you are, 
Uh, You're a ruler over all the men and the beast of the field. Again, Babylon was a super power at that time. And he says, this represents you. And we're going to see that each one of the pieces of this image represented the different kingdoms that would come after Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. He was a little different than these other leaders in that, listen, he was in a place of absolute rule. It was a dictatorship. There was no accountability. There was no one that he had to answer to. And so really, in a way, this is the closest picture of how the reign of Christ will be and that eventually the Lord is coming back. And we talked a lot about this in our Olivet Discourse study that we went through recently. We know that this dispensation ends at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then for a thousand years, the Lord's going to rule here on earth. And guess what? That time's not going to be made up of a house and a senate and a supreme court. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. It's going to be a dictatorship. And it's going to be good. The Bible talks in great detail about that time. About he who plants a vineyard will drink the wine of that vineyard. And how he who builds a home will live in that home. There's not going to be this oppression and this uh, heavy-handed, you know, uh, human government over men. But it's going to be the Lord ruling. And as men acknowledge the Lord, there'll be blessing poured out. And so in a way, you know, it's the closest picture except God is good and Nebuchadnezzar, not so much at all. So... He says, you're that golden head. And we know that this kingdom went from uh, 636 B.C. to 539 B.C., give or take a few months. And again, he made Nebuchadnezzar ruler over them all. And he did it for a reason. And part of that reason was to, remember, take Judah into captivity for 70 years because God was in the process of correcting them. They were really getting away from why God established Israel to be that nation to bring forth the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God was correcting them now. We talked about this in our first study there in uh, the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1 a few weeks ago. And so he says next, he says, But after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, then a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And we know, again, uh, about 100 years later or so, 80 years later or so, that the Medo-Persian Empire came and they overthrew the Babylonian Empire. And we'll read about Darius later on in, you know, the study here. And they, they, they went for a few hundred years, 539 B.C. to 330 B.C. And so they were the next kingdom that came after the Babylonian kingdom. And then from there, the Grecian Empire came, led by Alexander the Great. And they reigned from 330 B.C. to 63 bc getting closer now to the time of christ and they were probably the largest of all the ancient empires and then that fourth kingdom came verse 40 it says the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others and that speaks of the roman empire that went from 63 bc to 475 AD, almost 500 years. And that's the kingdom who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, praise God, death couldn't hold him. He rose from the grave. 
And so that was the next kingdom. And you got to understand in these prophecies and later on in the book of Daniel, Daniel gets some dreams concerning this timeline that even go into greater detail. It's astonishing the detail that's given and has caused some people to look at this and they say, there's no way this was written the time it was written because there's no way he could have known that. Well, there is a way that he knew that. God told him. And I'll tell you, in a second here, we're going to get to things that are going to happen. And it's just as these things have happened, the things that are going to happen are going to happen. Or the things written about that are going to happen are going to happen. So notice verse uh, uh, 41. He says, whereas you saw the feet and the toes, partially of potter's clay and partially of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And this really symbolizes from the end of Rome's rule, the continuation of the Roman Empire that has been so influential on the nations to this day, especially the nations in the West, where like our nation, we have a Senate very much like the Roman Empire did. The European nation set up very much like the Roman Empire was. Also, in the sense of the Roman Empire was made up of colonies that were, you know what, they were protected by military power. And that's what we've seen in the world since the fall of the Roman Empire. Also, though, we read of these ten toes, and it seems real clear that they represent ten kingdoms that are talked about in the book of Revelation that will be part of, you know what, the end times government and so forth that will be ruled and reigned over by the antichrist who will rule for a short time on this earth so notice verse 42 and we'll talk about this 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 uh image here and then get to uh christ's role and coming and all of this he says in verse 42 and so this is speaking of really where we are today you know the iron and the clay mixed together He says, and as the toes of the feet were partially of iron and partially of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And really what we see in the statue, again, going from the gold to the the silver to the bronze to the iron to the iron with clay What do we see? We see a decline, really, of society. We see each kingdom being less valuable than the one before. I mean, tonight, if someone said, hey, do you want 100 pounds of iron mixed in clay? Or do you want 100 pounds of gold? I mean, that's a no-brainer, huh? I hope no one would be dumb enough to go, well, I'm really spiritual, so I'll take that clay and iron, you know? Like, I think we would take, you know, an ounce of gold. We would take, you know, what a, a, a... you know what, a sliver of gold over the, the iron and clay, you're like, how do I get rid of this? You know, I don't even want this. And it's not by chance that it goes from the gold to the silver, again, all the way down to the iron and clay. Really what you see is a decline of society. You, you, you see us not uh, as, you know, human beings. You know, there's a lot of this idea, the, these lies of, hey, we're evolving, and soon we're going to go to the next level and become little gods man look around the, our, our our culture is not evolving it's devolving is what it's doing it's on a downward slope you know as we get closer to the coming of the lord we see a world that's love is its love of truth and love of others is waxing cold we see it going on all around us today 
And instead of seeing a world that, again, uh, is abounding in Christ, now there's pockets of believers and, and a remnant church for sure. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, even in the midst of a, of a fallen world, the Lord wants us to abound in him, and absolutely we can. But instead of seeing a world, and I won't read the text there, but I, I thought of Psalm 127, 3 through 5, where it talks about, you know, raising your children and, and them being like, uh, you know, at arrows and you shooting them out. And it's the idea of here I am with the Lord, and now I want to raise my kids in the Lord, and I want to see them go farther in the Lord than I went. Where have I gone? And, and instead of seeing that, what do we see? For the most part, we see a culture that is entrenched deep into sin, where there, there's a leaven of rebellion. I think of 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, do you not know a little leaven? Leaven's the whole lump. Where we're living in a day where as Christians, it's incredibly difficult, even as followers of Christ, to raise our kids in the Lord. Have, have, you, have you figured that out? Do you see that? There's so many influences. I mean, the, the days of the little house on the prairie have come and gone. It, it's the days of, you know, at the, the, the text messaging and the Instagrams and the Snapchats and all of these influences. And it's a challenge. It really is. Because, again, leaven has just so, you know, permeated in the sense of sin and rebellion just about every aspect of our culture. I mean, when was the last time you... You saw a sitcom. Does anyone even watch those anymore? You know, on, on, on a network or whatever that centers around a Christian family that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen anything like that? You know, maybe some failed effort of some Christian group. It's always cheesy, right, when we try to do things the world's way. But you don't see that. You don't see it. It, 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 it is, a, again, a, a devolving, so to speak, uh, of, of the world on a decline. And then you even look where it talks about, again, the iron and the clay, and you think about where we are today, and you think about the great advancements in the world with technology and so forth. Uh, you know, it from all the things that have come to be in the last hundred years, from the communication to cars and planes. I mean, you know, every once in a while you look up when you see a plane. You know, we look at the stars and marvel. When you see a plane or a jet going over, you've got to trip out on that. You know, that's a, a, a bunch of metal flying through the sky. I mean, it's, in, it's incredible, really. And yet, despite our advancements, we see little progress. In fact, again, we see we're going backwards in the areas of increasing amounts of wars and violence and famine and freedoms being taken from us. And the Lord spoke of it being that way before His second coming. And, you know, we talked about the Olivet Discourse out here all summer along where Jesus was asked, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And one of the things he said in Matthew 24, 6 is, you'll hear wars and rumors of wars, see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against, excuse me, against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places, and these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. And we see these things despite all of our advancements and so forth. We don't see these things being taken care of we just see them advancing. Think about all the advancements in, in uh, you know, the medical field, and yet here we are in this pandemic, as they call it, you know, tonight. I, 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 you, know, uh, you know my opinion on that, uh, and, and there's going to be real pandemics down the road. Uh, but still, you see it. And, and you know, you see, w- there, there's so much food made in the world, yet there's people that starve to death still to this day. 
and wars and rumors of wars. I mean, all we're hearing about right now from so many outlets is rumors of wars in our own nation. And people saying there's a cold civil war right now, and very easily they're saying next Tuesday, next Wednesday, it could break into a literal civil war. Let's be praying for our nation. We say amen to that. I hope none of you here tonight saying, I want that kind of thing, man. You don't want that. We want to pray for our nation. And really, what's the answer? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to turn to the Lord. And so we see this, again, uh, where there's strength. There's strength in all these things we have, all these means, and yet incredible weakness. Really, again, what you see is something on one hand that looks so strong, that looks like iron, the, the way things are set up today, and yet our very culture here in america listen it's hanging together on threads it absolutely is i mean we're seeing upheaval in cities and 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 you know what uh you know even this week again the the unrest there in philadelphia and so forth and you know what a a, a nation that on one hand looks so strong and yet is, is so so vulnerable and i think some people's eyes have been open up to that during these unfoldings over the last you know, six, eight months, however long it's been. And you see it in the hearts of people where, you know, Jesus even said a, a, a kingdom divided against itself will fall. And we're living in a world that it's not just divided in two ways, but it's just division all over the place. You know what? And you see the, the, the prophecy being fulfilled where the Lord talked about many being offended and betraying one another and hating one another and so forth just increasing greatly and so what you see is something on one hand that looks strong on the iron but with the clay it can't be held together it's like it's 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 it looks strong but it's not that's our world today really uh the clay itself even being a reminder that man was made from clay remember god made man from the dust and then when man sinned god said you came from the dust and guess what to the dust you return so we see here again gold, silver all the way down, and now we here we are with iron and clay, and, and, and it's a reminder that these things are going to come to an end, that it's only a matter of time before the Lord Jesus Christ comes and ends this dispensation that we are in historically, and men are pressed to the place, mankind's pressed to the place, men and women, to make that decision, am I going to follow the Lord? Or am I going to follow this, follow this fallen system that eventually is going to be headed up by an individual that says he's the Christ, but is nothing of that. Instead, he is an antichrist. Now, praise God, listen, despite all of this, and even despite the bulk of the world today, the bulk of the nations today really wanting to break off the cords of Christ and push off his counsel as psalm 2 1 through 6 speaks of listen despite all of that and despite where we are you know it's awesome that tonight the lord is long suffering and is coming which we're going to get into here in a second and then we'll close things out he's long suffering and he's coming you know why because he wants to see souls saved he wants to see people come to him and he is the way, the truth, and the life. You've got to understand when man sinned in the garden, that's when this decline started. And yet even right after man sinned, God gave the promise of the Savior that would come. And he said that serpent who had tempted man would bruise the Savior's heel. But praise God, he says the Savior would crush his head. And Jesus Christ, when he came here to this earth, 
He did something that we couldn't do. He lived a sinless life. You know what God requires of us to have a right relationship with him? Is for us to be sinless. Does anyone qualify for that tonight? You better not raise your hand because you don't. Neither do I. We, we just don't. I hope no one's that delusional tonight. But Jesus, again, being God, he took on the form of man, was 100% God, 100% man. He was tempted like we are. He was tempted in every way, and yet he never sinned. And then his sin came through one man. Listen, salvation comes through one man as Jesus went to the cross, and he died in your place. He died in my place. The wages of our sin is death, not only physical death, but Listen, spiritual death or or the second death that the Bible speaks of a place called hell. And the Lord, not wanting anyone to go there, came and laid down his life and then death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead. In fact, Jesus said in John 11, 25, I'm the resurrection and life. And then he said, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? Again, Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. Jesus laid down his life. He rose from the grave that when we put our faith in him, our life's now hidden in Christ. And though practically, listen, there's things God working out in our lives. Positionally, we are seen righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're seen forgiven. We are saved from our sin. That's what it means to be saved. I'm saved from my sin and the penalty of my sin, which is no light matter. It's actually separation from god forever in a place called hell if we die in our sin yet god loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son jesus christ that whoever and that's an all-encompassing word whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life do you know him tonight can you say amen to that well praise god for those amens and if you're here tonight and you haven't called on his name today is the day of salvation it's time to humble your heart and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him to be the Lord of your life. That means something. It means that, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to put my trust in you. And He'll meet you where you're at. He'll forgive you of your sin. And He'll do a great work in your life. Now notice here again, we go through these kingdoms and then notice verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Praise God. Which shall never be destroyed. Praise God. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, praise God. And it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Notice back again to the dream. In verse 34, he says, You watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. We're in the iron and clay age right now. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and wind carried them away so no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That speaks of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know as followers of the Lord, we're going to be taken home before that. We're going to be raptured. We talked about that again in great detail and the study out here this summer. And then when the Lord literally comes back, the nations of the earth are going to gather together in a place called Armageddon to try to fight God. They're, they're going to be so delusional, they're going to think that they can defeat God, but they're going to be defeated. Notice Revelation seventeen twelve. It says, Then the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. We just read about ten toes. Who received no kingdom as of yet, 
but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast or the Antichrist. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They're going to say, no one's like the beast. We want to follow the beast versus following not a king of kings, but the king of kings. And then notice verse 4, these will make war with the lamb, that's Christ, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who dwell on the earth are called chosen, and, and, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Are you with them tonight? Then listen, you are called, you are chosen, and you are called faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16 goes into more detail of this. Notice verse 45 of our text, though it says, And as much as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. So again, this isn't a work of man, this is a work of God. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the king, or has made known to Nebuchadnezzar, what will come to pass after this. And then he says, this dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. And what's the stone that's going to come, that's going to crush this image? That it's going to make it like chaff? That's going to make it as if it never existed? Not just the iron and the clay that's so weak, but the head of gold all the way down. Who is this stone? This is a prophetic word about the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, a man had been healed, and the people are saying, what the world's going on? But he'd been healed in the name of the Lord. And in Acts 4, 10, uh, uh, John said, let it be known, or Peter said, let it be known to you all and to the people of Israel that by the, name of Je- by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. And then notice what he said. Speaking of Christ, this is the stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And here's the thing. Listen, here's the thing in this world. You either call upon Christ and you fall on the rock and you're broken to be made new in Christ or you reject him and the day's going to come when he's going to crush you like dust. That's just the truth of the matter. Notice Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He's speaking of himself. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. He's speaking of the Jews' rejection of Christ and the Gentiles coming to Christ. And then he says in verse 44, speaking of himself, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And that's the thing. There's two roads. You call upon Christ in humility and brokenness and he washes you, he saves you, he forgives you or you reject him and the day comes he's going to judge your life and it's not going to be this, oh, you know, but you were a really good guy so we're going to, you know, I give you a pass. The Bible says there's no good, no, not one. We have all transgressed his laws and that transgression of sin brings death And God's not bringing death and rebellion into his glory. He's not bringing that into heaven. 
The only way that we access that is through the life of Jesus Christ and us humbling a heart and saying, be merciful to me, God, a sinner. I put my faith in you, Jesus. You are Lord, and I am not. My ways are wrong, and your ways are right. And there's no other way. There's no middle ground. Either fall on Christ in humility with a humble heart and a humble and contrite heart he will not refuse, or in pride you push him away and say, I want nothing to do with you. And the scripture says he is opposed to the proud. Notice, Daniel then says, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And much of this dream has absolutely already happened and is happening. And I can guarantee you, as I stand on the authority of God's word, this that we just read about is going to absolutely happen as well. Notice Isaiah 46, 9. Speaking of God, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. So again, God knows what's going to come next. And he gave this dream to show this to Nebuchadnezzar, also to bring authority to the word of God that is prophetic in nature. Jesus himself, when he came here on this earth, fulfilled over 300 prophecies. And the odds of doing them are astronomical to be able to fulfill all those prophecies. It's to show us that, again, Jesus is Messiah. And these things are here in part to show us that God's word is prophetic. It's not just some other book written by men that they stamped holy on it. It's set apart because of the truth that is found in it that is being fulfilled to this day. And again, we went into great detail of a lot of those things this summer. I mean, even nation Israel regathered as a nation and the things happening there today in the Middle East, they are prophetic. The breakdown of our culture today, it is prophetic. Scripture verses about, you know, at travel and wisdom increasing and, you know, scriptures that speak of, all the men on the face of the earth seeing or all mankind seeing something happen at once. That could never happen in ancient times. But with the, t- today's, ne- t- today's technology, you know, we look and we say, oh, we see how all of this is being fulfilled today. Now notice verse 46. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense, incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. And we look at this, and I just put on my notes, Wow, Nebuchadnezzar showing great humility here. God loving this man so much, showing no partiality, showing this man his power, wanting to bring him to repentance. And I think this is a great encouragement for us because to this point, Nebuchadnezzar had been very oppressive to the people of God. You know anything about that today? People in high places being oppressive to those that they rule over. Anyone know anything about any of that today? Huh? Oh, they just, they're looking out for us. And maybe, maybe to a degree, but man, I'll tell you what. 
in these fallen governments that we're reading about, whether it's the head of gold, the silver, you know, a chess piece, go all the way down to the iron and clay, there was one thing they all have in common. They love a good crisis because it allows them to grab more power, to oppress more. And Nebuchadnezzar had greatly oppressed the people of God, and yet in that, God was using what he was doing for good in the lives of the people of God. And praise God, all the things we're going through tonight and in the world today, God is wanting to work it for good in the lives of the people of God in your life. I've seen over the last six, eight months, God, I see God doing a fresh work in Refuge Church. It's, it's been beautiful. Seeing God work in so many people's lives, phenomenal. Uh, the baptism we had a few weekends ago, or last weekend, it was, it was phenomenal. Just to see, you know, the testimonies and the praise to God in so many areas. I can tell story after story after story of so many things we've seen over the last six, eight months. And we got to remember that. Again, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control, but he wasn't. God was in control. God's in control tonight, even in the midst of many little kings running around the earth saying, I'm the boss, I'm in control. No, you're not. Our God is in control. And he's working for things for good in our life. And at the same time, let's remember that these people in these places, guess what? They're just dust like we are. And God's giving them opportunity to repent and put faith in him just as you have tonight. And that should be something that fuels our prayers because I really believe the enemy works hard to make us think, well, you know what? Yeah, I can pray for my neighbor or my, my, you know, nephew or that guy I work with and God hears my prayers concerning them and me wanting to see them saved. God's called me to pray for them. Oh, but this person in high place, you know, they're way up here and I'm down here. No, that's just another guy, another woman, and we need to pray for their salvation. And listen, I pray every day that all of these politicians, and I know there's some that are already in this place, a very small minority, but I pray for all of them. I don't care what party they're with. I pray the fear of the living God would fall on their head. Put the fear of God on them, Lord. Make their knees knock. And bring them to a place of calling out to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need in this nation. And here's Nebuchadnezzar. Again, acknowledging God Almighty. Now, he could have taken the easy road to salvation and actually been converted. (laughs) But it would take a while with Nebuchadnezzar. Eventually, he'd have another dream about a tree that gets chopped down. And Daniel says, listen, this is about you. And you need to humble your heart. And you need to repent and perhaps God will relent in this coming about. And he goes about a year and then eventually he's standing up there looking over his kingdom. And he says, I've built all this and this is because of me. And this is for the next seven years he's driven out and he's amongst the beasts of the field. And his fingernails grow like claws. And his body, you know, looks like a beast of the field. And he talks about, you know, it being out there with the beast in the field. And man, it's a legitimate thing that happened. And they must have said, dude, our king has lost it. But God in his goodness eventually brings him back to his mind when he finally acknowledges who God is. And he finally calls on his name. In Daniel 4.37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and ways is ways just and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. 
He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Man, call on him tonight if you haven't. Don't let him drive you out as a beast of the field for seven years. Verse 48, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him a great many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the, prom- of the providence, or province of Babylon. But Daniel, he set in the gate of the king. And again, an encouragement for us. And all of these things, we see Daniel, again, walking in what he's purposed in his heart. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to stand with God no matter what. All this, you know what, uh, from, from Nebuchadnezzar, you know, I'm going to kill you guys if you don't have the, the, the dream and the interpretation. And all these wise men coming together, you know, it's scheming and scamming. And he says, I'm going to be separate from you guys. You know, and I'm going to pray to God and God going before him in that. And I'm going to get my three buddies here that know the Lord. Praise God for three buddies, right, that know the Lord in the midst of a fallen kingdom. And we're going to seek after God. And God honoring that. Why? They were taking steps of faith. God wants us to take a step, steps of faith. God honors that. And God gave him that, again, interpretation and brought him through where a lot of people say, man, don't, don't, man, don't tell the king that every, everything he has from God is God. You know, you build, speak, you know, flatter him and build up his ego. And Daniel says, that is all that you have is from God. I'm speaking the truth here. I got your ear. And I'm going to tell you, eventually all this is going to be crushed by God. And I'm not going to shrink back with it. That was a gospel message, man. You better, you better fall on the rock or the rock's going to crush you. And God went before him and preserved him, not only that, but God advanced him. And he could have the confidence that God was the one going before him because he wasn't trying to manipulate anything. He was walking by faith. God wants us to be a people walking by faith Fearing him, not fearing men. And it's a lesson we see over and over again here in the book of Daniel. So, you know what? That's the interpretation or the dream, the interpretation we read of here. There's a lot of other things we could go into. There's a lot of people that they get in all the mixing of the iron and the clay and they get into Nephilim stuff, if you're familiar with that and so forth. And, you know... you know what, I didn't feel led to go down that road at all tonight. I, I, I think it's pretty clear that we are living in a world that on one hand looks so strong, and on the other hand, it's hanging by a thread. And you see the fulfillment of that all around us. And ultimately, you know what, praise God, the rock is coming. So we got a few minutes. Anyone got any, uh, any questions tonight? Um, I'll do my best to try to answer one or two or maybe three of them. And then, uh, you know what? I haven't heard any screams of bloody murder out there from the uh, playground, so it sounds like our kids have been blessed out there this evening, and uh, I'm sure they'll have a big bag of candy, and so uh, don't be stealing all the Snickers bars out of there and saying, you get, you get the dum-dum suckers, and then all the chocolate stuff's for me, you know? Give me those baby roofs and whatnot and so forth. So uh, any questions tonight? If, if, if we don't have any, we can just close in prayer and Give you guys a few minutes to fellowship. But yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, so the question was um, someone talking to someone who was a Catholic who says homosexuality was wrong in the Old Testament, but it's fine in the New Testament, and how to biblically answer that. Uh, number one, I'd say quit listening to the Pope, <laughs> who just came out and said, hey, you know what, God's good with all of it. You know, let's have a free-for-all. Um, listen, nature itself speaks of, 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 of the sin of that. It's, it's unnatural. Um, and I, I don't want to get descriptive, but that is a, it is a destructive lifestyle. And, um, uh, you know, a common sense looks and says there are certain things that go together and others that don't. And you were right taking him to Adam and Eve because God made Adam a, a, a wife that was comparable to him. Where they come together and, and it works versus uh, two individuals of, 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 of the same uh, gender coming together and it being incredibly destructive. And it breaks my heart with all of the encouragement of our youth today to walk in those lifestyles when it is incredibly destructive to the soul and to the body. And, um, you know, it's about equivalent to a, a, a high school guidance counselor encouraging a kid to get involved in heroin or gangbanging. In fact, your life expectancy might be longer in those other sinful choices than, you know, at the, 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 um, you know, the, the, the homosexuality and so forth. It's heartbreaking. And people promoting that, you're going to give an account before the living God. You need to know that. The Lord says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better to have a rope tied around your neck and you're thrown into the depths of the sea. Whether it's this transgender stuff or those sins, we're going to give an account before the living God. And we just read about the rock crushing people. And he takes that to heart. So, um, you know what? Nature itself shows that. And then listen, in the New Testament, these things are all uh, clearly shown as sinful. Uh, we talked about the ceremonial law in the book of Acts that was given for uh, Israel when it comes to do not touch, do not taste, the mixing of fabrics, the diet, and so forth. That was to keep them separate from the nations around them. But that was part of God's covenant with Israel. And then when Christ came, that covenant was fulfilled. Remember, he told Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. You can eat any of these foods. But he didn't say, rise, Peter, and party. You know, he didn't say that. He didn't say, rise, Peter, engage in debauchery. He didn't say that. You go to the Word of God, and, and in the book of Romans, it speaks of these things 100% being sinful. In fact, it talks about men not being thankful and God giving them over to a deprived mind where they begin to worship the creation instead of the creator. And then they begin to have a natural lust in their heart. Men going after men, women going after women. And not only does the scripture, again, condemn that, it even says that those that approve such things are in their camp as well. And that should be a frightening thing to the Christian that begins to make, you know, a concession for those sins that, again, if they're not repented of, and our faith is in Christ Jesus, they're going to damn people's souls to hell. And that's true of, you know, it's sin is sin. And again, as I say all the time, there's a big difference between someone that has put their faith in Christ that is grappling with the sin practically, maybe struggling with the sin of homosexuality or fornication or, or whatever it would be. There's a far difference between that and someone saying, I'm going to embrace this and I'm going to celebrate it 
In fact, I'm even going to say I'm a Christian that practices these things and God approves of them. God has given us his word because he loves us. And sin is called sin in scripture. And throughout the New Testament, again, these things are reiterated as sinful. So what I would encourage him to do is to start reading his Bible. And these things would be be made very clear to him. Uh, Because again, Romans 1, uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 5. Galatians, these things, the book of Revelation speaks of these things, sexual immoralities and so forth. And absolutely, again, not trying to single out that sin, but that was the question. Uh, These things need to be called sin. And how can you be forgiven of something that you embrace and say it's all good? That's a lie from the enemy. It's destructive. It's one of the things that's even destroying our culture to this day. And so, um, again, I, I think you did pretty well in that. And so hopefully that helps a little bit more. And you got to remember in these things, we, we share the truth of God's word with people. And, and then, you know what, it's up to them what they're going to do with that. You know, are they going to humble their heart before God and acknowledge his word? Or are they going to walk in rebellion and say, you know what, I like the idea of Jesus, but that Bible, get it out of here. That's not a picture of someone yielded to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's someone saying, I want to do what's right in my own eyes. And, you know, this is serious business we're talking about here. We're talking about the souls of people. And, uh, you know, some people would say, well, that's hate speech you're spewing up there, Lord, Steve. No, this is the truth. The truth is what sets people free. And I'll say all the time, listen, when I was in my rebellion, deep involved into heterosexual sinful activities and morality, the last thing I needed is some priest or pastor to come along and give me a data boy and say hey you know what continue on in what you're doing when i knew how destructive that lifestyle was in that i was in i needed people to say man this is sin you need to repent of it you need to turn to living god so you can be forgiven and you can also start to be made a new creation in christ because god wants to take those desires away and replace them with desires that come from god almighty and you better believe he's able and capable and wanting to do that so we got to stand on the truth of God's word. And uh, you know what? I would encourage folks that are Roman Catholic to really consider your theology and catechism that speaks the, of the Pope being the voice of Christ here on earth. That is a gross contradiction to Jesus Christ. And it's exposing to this world, you know what, a false system where there's a lot of well-meaning people. Absolutely but God's word is the final authority, not men getting together saying, hey, we're the final authority. It's Jesus plus us. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And we need to stand on the word of God, whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant or whatever you call yourself. Listen, it comes down to what God's word says. That is the final authority. So, um, yeah. So, you know what? That's a great question. And, um, you know, it's okay that if it, was, it wasn't part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but in a way it kind of is with the iron and the clay, man. So let's close in prayer, and um, you know, then, then your, your kids will probably be coming out here pretty soon. They're, they're probably having a great time back there. And um, um, so, Heavenly Father, we praise you and give you glory. We thank you for your word, Lord. And uh, Lord, we got a standard truth. You said you'll know the truth and it will set you free. And God, as we looked at the truth of your word tonight, Lord, um, Lord, I thank you for many amens tonight and the people out here hungry for truth, even seeing, God, the, the liberty found in the truth of Scripture. 
And Lord, I would pray, God, for any that are with us here tonight that haven't put their trust or hope in you, God. For any here tonight that perhaps even at the answer, the biblical answer given to that question, maybe they're cringing right now and saying, no, I don't receive that. Listen, you need to receive that. God's word is true. And Lord, I pray, God, that if there's any here that don't know you, that again, even now they'd call out to you, Lord, and ask for forgiveness and repent and put their trust in you and Lord, allow you to wash them and forgive them. And any others, God, I want to pray that the seed of the word of God would not be snatched from their heart tonight as we are in a spiritual war. We pray you'd rebuke that devourer that would want to come and still kill and destroy and even take the truth of God's word, Lord. And so again, bless your people here tonight. Bless our fellowship. Bless the kids, God. And we thank you for this just beautiful following you've given to us, God, and the provision you've made and God are making for us just to continue to fellowship in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we bless you and honor you, and we pray all these things together. In Jesus' name, we said amen. God bless you.